Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 131 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I am joined by not one, but two lovely, rebellious guests. I am joined by Mark Leslie Lefebvre and Helen Glynn-Jones, and we are going to be talking all about anthologies, writing them, marketing them, and of course, a little-known anthology called The Rebel Diaries. First, to question of the week, and now I'm going to do something a little different and we are going to talk about the week before last's uh, uh, question. Because I now uh, record on Thursdays, it doesn't give enough time for you guys to respond to the question. So I'm going to look at like, well, essentially two weeks prior, uh, but it will in real time be one week ago? I don't know. I can't quite work out how, how time works. But anyway, so episode 129... Um, was Jessica Brody. Um, and so on Inst and the question was, um, what are your favourite tropes? So SL uh, SL Ager author or S Lager author uh, said, looking forward to this. Uh, Tom Fowler Wright says, I love Save the Cat Writes a novel. The beat sheet is part of my outlining process. And SW Miller said, one of my favourite episodes yet. And then Colleen Coleman on uh, Facebook said, this is so great. And Zach Jeffrey said, my favourite trope is the nickname. The MC is nicknamed by a friend, mentor, or um, LI? Love interest, ah. But in the end, in the midst of the most important moment, they use the MC's real name. Yes, I love when they do that, especially in Enemies to Lovers, because it like drives them insane. Um, so next week, I will talk about this current week as time is, like, so the week, the episode that's out rather than the episode I'm recording. <laughs> Look, guys, basically what I'm trying to do is give you enough time to comment. And so that is going to happen. So do drop your comments in whenever and I will uh, get to read them out. So what is the question of the week? Well, the question of the week this week is, have you ever applied to or participated in an anthology? Um, and if the answer is no to both of those, then have you ever read anthologies? Do you read anthologies? The book recommendation of the week this week is, of course, The Rebel Diaries Anthology. So as this episode airs, it is the 30th of March and therefore it is launch day. Yay! Congratulations to all of the authors in the Rebel Diaries anthology. You should now be able to get it everywhere, uh, barring the paperbacks, which will be out Um it is, well, as I record today, it's the 24th. So there's still six days before the actual launch, but when you're listening to this, it will be the launch. Um, and so I can't promise you that the paperbacks will be there, but they will eventually uh, be there if you prefer to read in paper. Um, and if not, the eBooks should be live everywhere now. So please, please do go and get a copy, support uh, all of the authors in the anthology. They are ridiculously talented. The book is I'm, you know, look, obviously I'm biased, but I think the book is jam-packed full of amazing stories. We've got sapphic pirates. We've got grumpy, um, slightly dangerous witches. <laughs> we've got um, aging ex-celebrities who were narcissists. We've got sarcastic demons. We've got um, uh, very raunchy uh, circus. Uh, what's the circus? Uh, oh my gosh, now I can't. Uh, you know, the guy who, who leads the circus. Can't think of the name right now. Um, we have, what else do we have? We have superheroes and supervillains. We've got, um, oh, we've just got all sorts of stuff in there. And yeah, I would love it if you guys would go and download a copy or, or purchase a copy. All right. So in personal news and updates from me, oh, it has been a couple of weeks. So the kiddo got COVID again last week for the second time. So that basically derailed my last week. Um, but then on Tuesday, I looked at my calendar, had a had a bit of an argument with the calendar about what was on it and what I wanted to be doing and what I wanted to be spending my time on. And I ripped everything off the calendar. I have cancelled a load of stuff. I have, um, I'm basically for the next quarter going to be saying no to everything unless it's words. So the next quarter will be spent just drafting. I'm not going to do any work that is, well, obviously I have to do essential work, but other than that, I am only going to be 
wording. So I am not going to, and the podcasts, of course, but um, yeah, I'm not going to do anything else. I'm not going to be speaking for the next three months. I'm not going to be doing anything. So um, that is exciting. What else is exciting is, okay, so you guys know I'm, I'm working on a nonfiction book now, uh, but I have discovered what the next nonfiction book is going to be. And oh my God, I am so excited to write this book. Um, yeah, so that is, I'm, I'm loving the current nonfiction book. I cannot wait to share it with you. I know what my next nonfiction book is going to be. Um, I've got a deadline for the fiction book that I'm working on. And I know what the following fiction book is going to be. So I am like all excited with the joys of like new, 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 new projects. Um, so I right, give me a couple of weeks and I'll be like, why is writing so fucking hard? But anyway, right now I am full of it. Um, but I drew a map, which was uh, amazing. And thank you very much to Angeline, who uh, gave me some tips and advice on uh, map making. And that has really um, helped uh, me in drawing the map. Uh, it's weird, isn't it? Because I don't know why I have to relearn these things. But when I first started the Keeper series, I had to draw uh, a map. And in drawing the map, it sort of helped me, uh, I don't know, like set scenes or I don't know but I came up with loads of ideas and I've been inputting uh, some like real historical events which is very unlike me but they're kind of inspiring uh, the stories so that has been really fun um yeah and like I just even though it's been a really shitty tough week with the kid having covid for the second time he's much better now by the way he's already back at school um it, it's just been tough because like I didn't get anything done this week, like at all, at all. And that is really depressing for me. I really struggle with that. What else? So I have, uh, what else am I working on? Well, at the minute I'm working on an enemies to lovers tropes course. So like how to write enemies to lovers. And that I am hoping to finish by the end of the month. So the end of March, uh, it might leak a little bit into the first week of April, but I'm really desperately trying very hard. So tomorrow I'm going to be working on all the slides again uh, to finish those slide, de slide decks. And I hope, hope, hope to be launching that in April. Um, so if you want to write enemies to lovers, then uh, yeah, keep listening to the podcast or sign up to the mailing list um, and you will find out all about that. Um, what else? So that, yeah, that's kind of it. Like the, the tropes course, the enemy, sorry, the enemies to lovers trope course is, is kind of the last thing that I'm trying to finish. Um, before I then really knuckle down and focus on words, I will probably be very slow to reply to emails in the next quarter. So if you want to email me something now is the time. Um, but yeah, so that is, I think my update. I think that is my update. Yeah. I don't have anything else to say really at the moment. Um, Okay, so Rebel of the Week this week is Leanne Rust. Leanne says, When I was in high school, maybe 14 or 15 years old, my older sister was being bullied by a kid called Sean and his cronies. He was one of those, you know, thought he was funny, the clown of the class, but really an awful human being. I spotted him picking on my sister in the courtyard. We didn't have uh, grass to call it a playground. So with my protective nature, I charged him like a bull and tackled him like a rugby player at five foot nothing. <laughs> I love this story. Uh, wearing platformed plump pumps, plumps, wow, that is easy for me to say. Wearing platformed pumps wasn't the most practical footwear thinking back on it. My ankles flopped from side to side like rubber as I ran towards him. Oh, fuck. And the result was two broken ankles. Oh my God. Plot twist. That is not where I expected this to go. Oh, you poor thing. After ramming him and two of his friends into the wall, their bruised ego was all I needed. Afterwards, a friend of mine had to carry me to the first aid room, like a scene from Hacksaw Ridge. You could say my mother was the least impressed being uh, called on by the school to come and fetch me and then take me to A&E. But Sean nor his cronies ever bullied my sister again. Oh my God. I am literally speechless. I don't even know where to start with this story. What a fucking plot twist. Was not expecting that. Um, two broken ankles. Were you wheelchair bound? Oh my goodness me, you poor, poor thing. Like, also though, like, <laughs> to actually knock those kids over with like broken ankles. You are my fucking hero. Wow. 
If you would like to be a Rebel of the Week, please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, big, small, or something in between. You can email your Rebel story to Becca on rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com. No new patrons this week, but a ginormous thank you to all of my existing patrons. We had uh, Poison and Prose last night, which was super fun. I loved talking to everybody as always. And hey, I even got some words last night, which was exciting. Um, So if you would like to join the Poison and Proses and and the other random things that happen, then you can. And you can get early access to all of the episodes as well um, from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. One more thing to say, if you are going to London Book Fair next week, then uh, do drop me an Instagram or drop me an email. Ho ho, I will reply this time. Uh, Well, I'll try. Uh, Actually, you know what? Fuck it. Just drop me an Instagram because I am much better at replying to uh, messages on Instagram. Let me know that you're going because I will be at London Book Fair on at least Tuesday and Wednesday. I don't quite know if I'm going to be there for the Thursday yet. Um, But yeah, let me know and uh, I will endeavour to come and find you and say hi. All right, let's get on with the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I am joined by not one, but two fabulous, rebellious guests. I'm joined by Mark Leslie Lefebvre and Helen Glynn Jones. Mark Leslie is an award-nominated short story writer who has been publishing speculative speculative fiction and horror since the early 90s, with his first published horror tale, Phantom Mitch, earning honourable mention in the year's best fantasy and horror in 93. His works have been collected in One Hand Screaming and the Nocturnal Scream short story collection series. He is also the editor of numerous anthologies, the author of urban fantasy, thriller and horror novels, as well as non-fiction, paranormal explorations, including Haunted Hospitals and Tomes of Terror, as well as some fantastic non-fiction books for writers as well, which I added myself. (laughs) Helen Glynn Jones is the author of seven novels. She's been published in magazines and anthologies, written for the Writers and Artists website and The Guardian, and created regular content for a variety of businesses and publications in Australia and the UK. She writes for middle grade, young adult and adult audiences and lives in Hertfordshire with her husband, daughter and wonderfully chaotic cockapoo. Hello and welcome. Hello. Great to be here. (laughs) Thank you both for joining me. So I have invited you both on because you are both authors in uh, the upcoming or or as this airs, it will be possibly the week or the day of or or just around the launch of the Rebel Diaries anthology. So first of all, thank you for being part of the anthology. Um, And second of all, I wondered, uh, well, Mark has been on the show, so maybe Mark, you can give us a quick uh, whistle stop of sort of what you've been up to in the last year since you're on the show. Um, And then Helen, if you would just tell everyone a little bit about your journey uh, in writing and sort of how you've got to where you are today. Mark, do you want to uh, take it away first? Yeah, sure. So um, I've actually been busy following some of my own advice that I've been giving authors for decades. Uh, For example, write in a series. I finally started to do that in 2020 after so long of saying, you know, you really should write in a series. It's helpful. And guess what? It actually is helpful. Uh, So (laughs) I was rebelling (laughs) against my own advice, which is just, you know, typical uh, of me. So I've been busy doing that. I've been busy uh, doing a lot more collaborative uh, projects. Uh, And obviously the the Rebel Author Anthology, especially the lead up uh, to, you know, promoting it has been wonderfully collaborative. I feel horrible because I haven't been able to participate in everything everyone's doing because my plate's so full, but I'm just so overwhelmed with just the creative energy and the and and all the stuff that's going into it and 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 the hilarious rebellious stuff that people are doing in the social media posts. So, yeah, a lot of collaborations, uh, a lot more writing than before. So I'm, I'm I've been um, uh, keeping myself in trouble as usual. As as we all hope that you do, as as I hope every everyone does who's in the indie world. Um, Helen, would you like to tell everyone a little bit about your creative journey to where you are today? Um, sure. Yeah, I started out actually writing for other people about 15 years ago now, I think. And uh, yeah, and then a few years ago, I sat down and thought, yeah, I'm going to write my own books. I had a story idea and um, that has become a five book series with the sixth one I'm going to complete this year. Um, 
get it out there. That's the plan. Um, I've written, um, I wrote another standalone as well, which is, which is also out there uh, for adults. Um, and I've got another probably five books that I've completed, as you probably know, <laughs> that I've been working on for a while. Um, I've done a little bit of collaborative writing as well. Um, wrote a book with Tom Grennan. And uh, so that's, that's sort of with his management now. That, that was a great collaborative project. Uh, and uh, yeah, as you say, I've had um, a few stories in anthologies, um, literary magazine. I was runner up in a writing magazine, the adult fairy tale competition a few years ago. And um, I just keep on writing more stories every day. Yeah, and I, I, I love your stories. So <laughs> I have had the, the honour and pleasure to be to read many of your stories. So yeah, and okay. <laughs> we are here to talk about anthologies. And um, I think anthologies sort of wax and wane in popularity. And at the moment, I feel like they're quite popular and seeing so many anthologies coming out, quite a few as well, even from the traditional and particularly in young adult at the moment. Um, but I wondered if, Mark, you might be able to start by explaining the different types of anthologies, because there's loads of different types and sort of indie authors like group together to do certain things and then trad do certain things. So, yeah, I just wondered if you might be able to tell listeners uh, about the different types. Yeah, sure. So in, in the in the true rebellious manner of indie authors, they take words and they readjust them for their own use like the term indie author as opposed to self-published author, right? Because it confuses the heck out of independent publishers who've been indie publishers. And so he's like, are you an indie publisher and indie author? Yes, uh, is the answer. Uh, so similar with anthologies. And anthology traditionally uh, from the book industry is a collection of short fiction by multiple authors uh, collected together. However, as you said, sometimes indie authors do anthologies, which are full books <laughs> combined together. Uh, even the term box set in the ebook world is a digital bundle. It's a digital collection of books that are combined together as opposed to in the physical brick and mortar world where it's actually uh, books that are in a usually a, a thin cardboard box, uh, which is where it comes from. Um, so you've got uh, anthologies, which are multiple author collections. When, when it's a single author collection, sometimes I see people using the word anthology, but it's really a collection, not an anthology. Um, and then there's uh, Omnibus, which is actually another version for multiple books in a single in a single book. So those are some of the terms, I think. But I think anthology, when you think about the true nature of anthology, it truly is a number of creative people all contributing to something. Now, often one of the things about anthologies, like the Rebel Diaries, is the theme. All the writers are writing on a, on a particular theme that the very esteemed editor is uh, looking for right, and 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 in 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 the case of some anthologies, they are uh, submissions with a slush pile where the editor chooses from hundreds of submissions and finds the best ones. In other cases, it's invite, meaning, uh, and I've done a few anthologies that way. Now, I've done the slush pile anthologies, which are really hard, and I really admire what you did, Sasha. But I've also done anthologies where I just didn't have the time. So I reached out to, you know, 13 authors and said, hey, can you write me a story <laughs> that, that suits this theme? And usually they're from authors I've worked with before. I know their work. So it's kind of, you know, you're going to get something uh, that you're going to be able to use. And so, so I think I may have just uh, dropped upon another question because, so am I right in thinking that the difference between anthology and collection is that a collection is one author collecting short stories. Cause I didn't know that. I assumed that uh, like, so I know that you recommended me. Um, is it Jeffrey? Jeffrey Deaver? Deaver, yeah. Yeah. So that is actually technically a collection. A collection. Yeah. I'll, I'll technically ah. the rebel diaries is a collection, but an anthology is a specific type of collection. Kind of oh. like a, you know, a square and a, a square is a kind of rectangle four sides, but it's a very specific kind of rectangle. So, so an so, anthology is a very specific kind of collection. Uh, so what is what is the specific bit? So what separates it from a from a collection? Uh, single author, uh, single author uh, collection. Anthology traditionally has always been numerous authors, numerous contributors, as opposed to a single contributor. Ah, OK, OK. 
Right. So what I wanted to do uh, is to go through the different stages of um, creating an anthology slash collection. I'm going to stick with anthology for the sake of today. But... Well, this is an anthology. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So um, let's start with writing. So all of us have written for anthologies. Um, I think you guys have written for more anthologies than I have. Um, but what have you learned about short story writing that's helped you to create really impactful characters in a short space of words. Uh, Helen, would you like to go first? Sure, I'll give it a go. Um, so I guess one of the best tips I've ever heard for writing a short story is to start as close to the end as possible. Ah. Yeah, I know, right? Mind blown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that, uh, yeah, and to keep it simple, you know, you a short story isn't really a place for convoluted plots or loads and loads of characters. You know, you're still telling a story. There are similarities to writing a novel, but there are differences as well. And the main thing is to just keep it really simple. Um, you know, like you can have a short story that just has one character really and a situation, but you still do have to have that. Um, you still have to bring the reader in with a character that they can, you know, either sympathize with or that they absolutely despise and can't wait to see what happens at the end and hope that they get crushed by an anvil or something you know it's um you've got to still sketch that character out you still have to have that understanding of who they are what their motivations are but you just have a really small number of strokes in which to convey that to the reader so um yeah that's that's probably the main thing yeah keep it simple and start as close to the end as possible and you should be okay I love that. I've never heard that before. Uh, last night I had the the honor of interviewing Alex E. Harrow and she and I asked her about, oh, my God, I love her so much. Her work is amazing. I asked her about because uh, so she's written award winning short stories. I think she's won a Hugo or something like that. And she's also writing retellings, queer retellings that are novellas right now. They are fucking fantastic. Um, but I, what I asked her was like, what is her advice for, you know, creating uh, good short stories? And she blew my mind. What she said is that um, novella, uh, novels are collections of lots and lots of decisions. The lots and lots of choices all the way through the novel. And I was like, oh, OK. And she was like, but in a short story your character should only be making one big decision, one decision across the whole short story. And I was like, oh my God, it like completely changed my whole kind of uh, approach to short stories. Because short stories are something I really struggle with. Like I'm much better either in long form or in flash fiction. Um, but that all of a sudden felt like she'd opened up the whole, oh, I get it now, right? And I think the thing for me uh, that I... I because I started with one story and then scrapped it and had to write another story. And I was the last bloody author to get their story finished for the Rebel Diaries for confession time. <clears throat> but um, the thing that I learned is that because it's such a short space of words and such a short story, it's almost more important to focus on voice to make it really impactful whereas in a novel you get more space to draw readers in you don't have that um uh privilege in a, in a short story so for me I think the thing that I struggled with with that first story I couldn't find the voice it didn't like it was the story and the characters weren't speaking to me so I didn't I couldn't identify like what I wanted it to sound like whereas when I found Caleb I knew that I wanted like a sleazy ex-celebrity with a coke habit and a whore habit and a everything else habit and and just sort of this really um shaded view on life and once I found that the voice made the story what it was I think so okay Mark how about you so it, it's funny I, I was thinking about a few different things that you guys were talking about and I was uh, a lot of short story came back to uh, when I worked in theater uh, when I was younger the scene and the director always asking the actor, what's your intent is the scene like it, and it can be some small thing. And I always equated stories to that. But as you as you were talking, I was looking at your bookshelves because that's what I do. I, I'm kind of a book gawker and uh, <laughs> it's like, oh, there's books. I have to look at. Them. But what um, I think about, I, I've managed uh, small stores, mall, mall bookstores, as well as big box stores. And I think of a, of a novel like a big box stores, you can have 
a hundred thousand books on the shelves and, and you don't have to be as discriminating. You can kind of throw things around and, and, and play around with them. Uh, when you, when you run a mall store, that's maybe 5,000 to 10,000 bucks. You have to be a lot more discerning. You have to be discriminate a lot more and, and really hone down that selection it's the same thing as a writer of a novel. You can kind of take some time and move around and describe the tree for three pages like Tolkien does, or in a short story, you can't get away with that. You have to be very, very sparse. Every single word has to count. That's the other thing. The other thing I love about short fiction, absolutely love about short fiction, which you cannot get away with in a novel, is you can break tropes, you can experiment, and, and your voice can be completely, you can have so much fun with it. You can completely uh, change things up and try experimental things because, again, the reader's not invested for eight hours and they're not going to throw the book across the room if <laughs> the good guys don't win or something like that. Um, so short fiction gives you a lot more leeway as a creative person, I think. Yeah, and it's funny because I um, don't, until you just said it, I didn't realize what I'd done, but I actually used a trope to write the short story. So it's a second chance romance, basically. Well, kind of a, no, it's like a late, later in life romance. Anyway, it's a second chance story, yeah, second yeah. chance at what the uh, character wants and and there's romance involved. But yeah, that's so true. It's like a, it's like a, I definitely broke the rules for a second chance. <laughs> well that's the thing you can right no one's going to get upset with you yeah um so how do you two personally approach writing a short story like where do you start do you plan it uh, I'm sure neither of you do that because I think you're both pantsers but I'm going to ask the question anyway um like where how do you know yeah like what is your process when writing a short story uh Helen you go first <laughs> okay uh yeah planning what is that no I I uh don't, uh, you know me, I tend not to plan, although I am getting a little bit better at it because I do get dragged down wormholes. But um, yeah, a writing a short story, I suppose, um, there's a couple ways I approach it because if I have, if I'm going, if I'm applying to something specific, there's generally already a brief and there's a word count and there's something I need to stick to. So I, it's almost like, you know, like a writing job, like I'm writing for a client and there's something that I need to say. So I have to try and uh, I guess fit the story in and around that as there was with the Rebel Diaries, there was a very clear brief and, you know, you had a word count and the whole bit. So in some ways that kind of makes it easier because it gives you a set of parameters to play, to play within. Um, but sometimes you just get a weird little idea and you have to write it down and sometimes it becomes a short story and sometimes it just stays as a little bit of flash and sometimes it's just a note in that folder, that big old folder of notes that we, we all have as writers where we write down things that randomly drop into our heads in the middle of the day or whatever. Um, and so then, yeah, it's just a, a really organic process where you just have this little grain of an idea and you see where it goes. and. Again, being a bit of a pantser, it could go anywhere. So, yeah. So, yeah, it's probably better for me to have a brief. You'd <laughs> end up writing a six book series. And, Mark, how about you? How do you approach writing short stories? Yeah, very similar to the way I approach writing novels. I just sit down and I start writing. Uh, maybe usually there's a nugget or an idea or something or a scene. Uh, sometimes it's, a, it's a, a snippet of dialogue, sometimes it's just something I picture. Uh, it's it's I find it a lot uh, easier when I have a theme when when you know rebel or or any other theme that you're writing to because you're very specifically like Helen said okay the guidelines are maximum five thousand words minimum a thousand words whatever okay so I know what range I'm shooting for but often it's just it's it's playfulness uh, I I love sitting down I mean I have had uh, I've written poems that I've also written as stories so the same idea comes out as a poem one way and a story another I've written short stories several actually short stories have turned into novels that I've later published and there's still a great standalone thousand word short story based on the same premise but let's explore this in a different way and tell the same story in 80,000 words um, and so I think for, for me um, the difference may be I'm going to go back to acting uh, for a second for a novel it's a lot more like there's um, because there's more moving parts and there's a lot more characters and there's a lot more subplots and things like that. It's like memorizing lines for a play. It can still be a creative process, but there's this big thing. And short stories for me are more like improv. Someone pitches something at you and then you just go with it and, and, and you kind of run with it. 
And if it's wrong, who cares? Because it's just a short story. You didn't invest sixty hours of writing into some major project. Okay, so the next section that I wanted to talk about was reading and choosing uh, stories for anthologies. And I know, Mark, you've done both um, invite anthologies and you've done reading slush pile anthologies. And Helen helped me uh, to read. Honestly, thank you so much because we had so many bloody stories to read. And actually, in the end, we both ended up reading almost all of them anyway, because we crossed over for all of the ones that went to the second round. So thank you once again for all of that help. (laughs) Um, But I suppose my first question is, um, what were the most or what are the most common mistakes you see in stories that get submitted that turn you off quickly uh, that story uh, so mark let me come to you first well the, the biggest one is uh is obviously the writer did not read the guidelines uh, I, I and it seems so simple but so many people get it wrong the rebel diaries you probably got genres that weren't even close not not genres but the there's no rebel there's no rebellious act there's no whatever in it and that is just huge that uh authors don't so so the the thing that it tells you when you and when you start to read is that um they obviously just are maybe so desperate to get their story published they'll send it to any open market at any point in time i got pitched once i was reading an anthology for a publisher uh, for science fiction, fantasy, and horror on a theme like of art, music, and literature in in uh, any of the like so that that was the generic topic, which which is pretty broad. But I had someone pitch me a three book Western novel series. <laughs> and, and again, it was a writer who saw, oh, some editor is reading submissions. I'm going to send them my the book, probably this project I've been dreaming of my entire life, and this is my one chance to get in the door. So I'm going to do it because I'm so brilliant that I'm going to. Like the, the challenge when you're doing this, and especially editors who do a lot more of this than than I do or you do, is they're they're they've got a deadline. They've got to read thousands. Um, I've I've read millions of words uh, for anthologies I've I've been reading for, and I don't have time to muck around and find the next J.K. Rowling or or whoever the next big writer is who's gonna break out break out on the scene I, I really have to focus on getting the stories i need for my anthology so for god's sakes please reread or actually read the submission guidelines at least once before you <laughs> set something in yeah it's funny because we probably had 10 percent, i would say of the stories that didn't uh hit the criteria were over or under the word count and the thing is um, it's not that those stories were bad necessarily. Some of them could well have been excellent. But when you get that many stories, you have to be discerning. And if they don't meet the criteria, that is one very quick way to just cut stories because, you know, criteria is black and white. And so, yeah, that is probably a lesson to those people listening is that if your story does not hit the criteria, the chances are you are just going to get cut from the pack before anybody's even read the first word. Um, Because ultimately, you know, there's so many stories to read that you have to try and make efficiencies somewhere. And that is a very obvious one to do. Um, and as much as people probably don't want to hear it, you're, you're, you know, the chances of you being the one or the lightning bolt are pretty slim. So, you know, <clears throat> even though we are talking about a rebel diaries here, don't rebel against the criteria. <laughs> um, Helen, what about you? What, what was one of the, what are some of the mistakes that you saw the quickest turnoffs? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm obviously going to echo the criteria thing because that's huge and it's just a waste of everyone's time. It's a waste of your time sending it in and it's a waste, It's you know, it's wasting the editor's time because they've still got to sort through that. And um, So it, it's really not, it's really just not worth doing. Read the brief. Um, for me, I think also um, if, if the story starts off with a great premise and it's not resolved, I mean, that's, you've got to resolve it you know otherwise it's just a chapter it's not it's not it's not giving you that reader satisfaction at the end which is you still need in a short story um and uh yeah and just some you know too much plot too much waffle just again keeping it simple painting with those really broad strokes just 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 telling the story just a lack of lack of pacing lack of storytelling 
probably big ones. Yeah, I think the interesting thing is that none of us said spelling and grammar. Now, the the interesting thing for me is that um, there were some stories that got sent in that had the odd spelling and grammar mistake. And that was okay. Like I could overlook that if the story was really good because it's going to go through edits anyway. And I know um, in speaking to a lot of the authors who ended up being selected, a lot of them had already sent their stories to editors before sending it into the anthology. Um, And what does that tell you? I don't know. It tells you that obviously the story was a higher quality and therefore it stood out from the others. But I don't think that's to say that your your story has to be immaculate because I definitely selected stories that had some typos and things in them. But I do think it's something to consider to make sure that you make your story the best it can be so that it shines as well as it can. Um, I think the thing for me that I found very interesting is that if a story didn't capture me in that first paragraph... Nine times out of 10, it did not make it through. And I know that's mean possibly to say, but it's also true. (laughs) I knew by the time I'd read about 10 stories, I could tell within the first paragraph whether or not this was a good enough story. And, And a lot of that is about I think the sharpness of the writing, the the clarity of the voice and the depth of characterization in that first paragraph. Like, are you saying, are you, what are you saying in that first paragraph and how well are you saying it? You know, because like in any novel, like most people work so hard on those first few chapters and then, you know, the readers engage then. So, the middle chapters are usually a little bit less worked on. And then they, everybody works on the, the end chapters to make sure they land that end day. And I think there is a bit of that in short stories as well, because if you've managed to capture me in that first paragraph, those first couple of paragraphs, then I am going to read to the, to the end of the story. But if you don't capture me in that first page, chances are I'm just going to not finish the story. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I think um, characterization is really important in that first paragraph. And, uh, the um, uh, characterization, uh, prose, um, like imagery and like saying something really impactful or like using a juxtaposition in your first sentence or use something that catches my attention, something that is unusual, something that is unique, that those were the stories that really um, landed for me. I don't know if any of you have anything else you want to come back on on that. But yeah, can, can I add a, an additional one? Because when you're reading, uh, well, I, I, when I started, it was always physical manuscripts and you would pull them out of the envelope. There's something, uh, and, and this goes true for blurbs as well, like the descriptions that you put up for your books that you publish. There's something about seeing a huge block of text that's just filling the page that is really, it's a, it's a, it's a subconscious thing. It's really um, scary uh, for the reader. And, and so sometimes as an editor, when I look at the manuscript on the screen or I'm pulling it out of an envelope, if I see big giant blocks of text, I get scared and intimidated and, and I go, oh, this is going to be a lot of work. Whereas sometimes just seeing white space and seeing the flow and the, and the change and the, di- I know it's a weird thing, but it's a psychological thing where I immediately start with my back up and I'm all tense because this is going to, okay, I got to take a deep breath and I got to sink into this and it's going to be, you know, oh my God, it's going to be weighty. Whereas sometimes it just flows uh, and your eyes move faster down the page, which feels like it's a faster read. So there's weird, I know it's a weird thing. I mean, the writing has to be good. But there is a psychology to these blocks of text that can just be overwielding. Um, and people are way lazier than as readers than, uh, you know, hundreds of years ago. We can't get away with <laughs> it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. I mean, it's, it's great prose. But when you look at the block of text, it's kind of scary and unwieldy. Yeah, I, I actually completely agree with you. And now I feel very cooled out because I definitely opened some stories, saw ha- saw that there was, you know, blocks of text and was like, uh, I'll read that one later. And then went to a different story. And if like, and like, I feel bad about that now because you're calling me out. But also it's very, very true, right? And that's a really small trick that you can use. Just hit the enter button, guys. Like you can play with paragraphing. It's okay to play with paragraphing, right? But also maybe slap it in some dialogue earlier because that will give you some paragraphing anyway but I think that's a fantastic point and I don't I didn't consciously realize that I had done that 
or, or the, no, I knew I'd done it, but I didn't realize the reason why I'd done it. And as soon as you said that, I was like, oh my God, I definitely put stories aside to read later that were, that were, were formatted like that. Um, okay. So let's talk about organizing. Um, <clears throat> organizing an anthology. <laughs> Mark, <laughs> would you like to talk about your experience? of organizing anthologies and yeah. um, like what have you learned about organizing anthology so when you say organizing i laugh because i'm a complete mess when it comes to organizing anything <laughs> however organizing an anthology in my mind is uh is very much like uh thinking about a story there's a theme but there's a story um i've always looked at like the first paragraph, the first line of a story or a novel, the first five pages, the first chapter, whatever, you need something that's really powerful and you need to put something up front as the first story that is, is going to pull the reader in. They're browsing through the book, they're looking at it, they're reading a sample. You need it to be compelling, need it to be awesome. You also need the final story of the anthology to be awesome. Because when they close the book, they go, ah, yes, that's what you, you don't want the, the poorest story at the end. You want it to also be so the in, in some ways. And I've learned this from uh, working with Christine Catherine Rush and Dean Wesley Smith is you start with your like your best story, if you can. The second best story goes at the end. And then the third best story is right dead set in, in the middle. So you've got these high points. Not that. And again, they're all great stories because you selected them from hundreds of other submissions. But then the other thing that you have to play with on top of this, and this may shift the, the one, two, and three around a little, is I always look at, uh, in, in the, you don't want the same kind of story or the same style or the same voice. So you want to change it up. You want to change maybe the, the type of narrator, the type of um, voice, uh, the, the author, whatever. And so you've got this, this sort of dynamic change. Otherwise, you don't want like all stories that are really, 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 really funny. And then stories that are really, really, really dark. For me, I want it to be more like a buffet where you're kind of coming around and I'm guiding you through. So as the, as the anthologist, I'm using all of these actors. Again, I'll go back to, to the theater. I'm using all of these actors in a way to present to you a show of this theme, of all the greatness of this theme. That And so you want to also have different elements to it. So sometimes... I've, I've had the, in the final selection, oh my God, these, I love these two stories. They're, they're just both awesome. I want to publish them both. However, they both feature uh, somebody who poisons uh, people's coffee because they don't like their coffee choices. And that's the, and they both actually have the exact same premise. I can't have two coffee poison drinking things in the same anthology. I'm going to have to pick one. And, and I've had to make the really hard decision where I was like, I loved your story. It was awesome, unfortunately. And this is weird things where you're making a decision going, well, this one's 5,000 words and this one's 1,500 words. If I go with 1,500 words, then I can take this other story that I may not have had room for and I can get two different stories in there. So you're making all these weird concessions. Uh, I, I love that process, but I also hate it so much because you end up cutting great stories as, as well. Yeah, Helen and I had a really tough time with the last couple of stories. And there were a couple of stories that were really, really close calls. And we both loved the story that got into the anthology and the story that didn't. And <clears throat> I um, went and gave a bit more feedback to that story because I was like, oh, it was so close, like like a, a hair's breadth away from getting in the anthology. But I... The thing was, if I hadn't decided beforehand that I wanted exactly 13 stories, then it would have come into the anthology. But I was dead set on having 13 as the number. Um, and so, yeah, like that was, I think, one of the hardest bits for me because I, I really wanted that additional story. And I know that you loved that story, didn't you, Helen? Um, how did you feel like that That kind of, yeah, talk talk me through that kind of, decision-making process and like those final few and, and whittling it down. Like, how did you find that? What did you learn? Like, what did it kind of teach you? Um, I think, you know, yeah, it was, it was really hard that last story. And I think we both felt kind of like gutted in a way that we had to say that you had to say, you know, sorry, 
to that person. I will say this, just as an aside, you know, I was um, I'm, I was in another anthology recently, and but I actually didn't sub to that anthology. I subbed to a different one, but with the same editor, and she remembered my story and she put it forward for that anthology. So I guess what I'd say to people is like, you may not get into this one, but if your story has enough impact, the editor will then move it well then you know there's the opportunity for it to go other places so don't you know be totally disheartened yeah yeah I think that you know yeah I think that's a really good point um so on the flip side of that uh, in terms of organizing the story structure in terms of the back end of organization um I don't know how much you've been involved Helen uh, in the back end of other, the other anthologies that you've been part of but I know obviously Mark you have been the editor on on anthologies I think the biggest thing that I learned about the process from, uh, you know, writing the the pitch for people or the theme for people to submit to all the way through to publication is that I really underestimated how much work was involved in this. Um, I think uh, one of the most important things is communication. Um, I that things had to get extended because uh, of various life things that had happened and also just the amount of time it was taking us. Like I had given um, quite long uh, time frames because I knew that it was going to take us a while and I knew that it was going to go over the school summer holidays. So that part of like the, the reading and the choosing, I think we gave ourselves the right amount of time for, even if that was probably longer than what most anthologies uh, would usually take. But that was that was the capacity that I had. And I think that was right. So I sort of I gave myself an estimate and then I added a month on. And I think I needed that extra month. So, yeah, I was really pleased about that. But the, on the communication front, it doesn't it sort of reminded me that it doesn't matter how many times you put information out or where you put information out. People are still going to come and ask you questions. When is the deadline? Like, when are you going to get back to us? Like this kind of stuff. So it reminded me that you can't communicate enough. And the other point at which I felt this was I felt it really acutely um, in the marketing phase. So I created a Slack group for the anthology because I felt very isolated. And the reason I did the anthology, one was because I wanted to um, test my short story ability. Two, I wanted to do a community. I'm so sorry that my Amazon deliveries are being notified quite right now whilst we're on this podcast. But um, I also wanted to do something in the rebel community with rebels, right? So that was another one. But because of that, I wanted it, I wanted the publishing of it to be really like collaborative. And I felt a bit like a ship moored or, or because it was me leading from the front all of the time. And I didn't like, okay, yes, I needed that for, you know, choosing the stories and, and the back end of the publishing stuff. But actually on that marketing front, I felt a bit isolated. I didn't want to have to make all the decisions because every, like we have 13 ridiculously talented people with a shit ton of ideas. So yeah, like that was a strange thing for me. I was like, ah, oh, I need, I need a way to communicate with everybody that's not email. So I set up a Slack group and that was like a really, um, if I ever did another anthology, I would definitely do another Slack group and probably earlier than what I did do it. Um, because I think it was once we got the Slack group that all of the ideas started flowing and like people started, um, you know, really communicating and, and it had more of a group feel. So that I think is probably the biggest lesson for me is if you want to do, um, if you want it to be not sort of top down, but more bottom up, then making sure you have a method of communicating that is an email because I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I fucking ignore my inbox as much as humanly possible. So like, that just is not the way to communicate with me. Um, so yeah, um, Helen, I don't know if you have anything to add, like, or any reflections on kind of the organizational side of the two that you've been involved in. And then Mark, I'll come to you because I know that you've done a few. Um, I think, I think really it's just going back to the to the authors again and just just making sure that um you know if you are subbing to these things that uh you're following guidelines i was reading um uh, about an anthology recently i think they've got 20 spots or something had over 500 submissions like that's what you're that's what you're up against you know um but also don't don't feel that that short story just because it didn't get into that anthology is now dead in the water you know there are other opportunities out there sub it again or as as I say, an editor can remember it and um, you could get put forward for something else. Um, so, yeah, but from a, from an organizational point of view, I definitely agree about the communication. I think the Slack group is, uh, is working really well. 
and um, it, it also, you know, it, it increases your author community too, which is always a good thing in the indie world. Yeah, you know, yeah, we're all, yeah. At, we're all out here together, right? We're all out here, you know, we're all fighting the same battles and stuff. So it's it's nice to to be part of a group and part of a community, which is the great thing about collaborative projects. Yeah, actually, I didn't really think about that, but it definitely had like you definitely feel closer to all of those authors in that group, which is fantastic. Okay, Mark, how about you on the organization, like the sort of structural back end stuff? Anything, any sort of lessons learned that you've had or reflections? Uh, yeah, I yeah, honestly, um, the Slack group, uh, absolutely amazing. Sasha, I, I think that is one of the most uh, insightful and powerful things I've learned about anthologies because I've been in a lot, I've edited a lot, I've been in a lot of anthologies as an author, and anthologies don't sell. I mean, they're, 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 they're hard, I, like they're pretty much, yay, I'm, I've got a book out or I'm in a book. That's about it. Yay, don't expect, unlike novels that actually have a chance of selling. Um, so anthologies and poetry probably are like, just like, and I'm not saying this to dishearten anyone. I just think it's hard. The challenge and it's, and, and the thing is when you think about an anthology, you go, we got 13 amazing authors who are very talented and have their own followers and their own audience but the own audience may not want to invest in something where it's just a story by their favorite author. Now the, the real fans are going to go for it. But so there's this belief that we're all going to help each other and collaborate and we're all going to discover each other's uh, the readers and share them and stuff like that. And there is, and there is a portion of that, but for most anthologies, most anthologies, not this one, it gets published. The editor does some marketing, maybe one at one or two of the contributors does some marketing and it's, and it's dead in the water the minute the book hits the shelves. shelves. Um, that's not the case with the Rebel uh, Diaries. I am so impressed and overwhelmed with just how passionate and, and um, creative the, my fellow contributors for this anthology are. These are rock stars who are just going above and beyond and doing some incredible marketing. So Honestly, that's my biggest takeaway from this anthology project is that Slack channel, uh, everyone's sharing because otherwise we're all sitting together and I go, well, I got my author's copy. Here's a picture of me on Instagram holding my author's copy. Like that's it. Right. And then it's done and there's no more marketing. Um, that is, I, I can't, I can't express enough how this not only takes the ability to do this and collaborate with people, but you've taken it to the next level and all of the contributors have stepped up. Uh, if anything, I feel like I'm the least contributing person helping promote this thing. I'm watching what everyone's doing and I'm just overwhelmed going, oh my God, I can't keep up with you young kids. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, well, let's move on to like marketing and <clears throat> and the publishing side. I, th I completely agree that I think anthologies have a place i think that that the, the different types so where they the, the anthologies that work are the temporary anthologies where you've got 20 books full novels and the group of it's like a 500 pound buy-in and all of the authors are making a run at the usa today um <clears throat> bestseller list those anthologies are the anthologies that i see uh make art successful i you know, I, I know that we talked before I did this and, you know, you were very clear, don't have any expectations of, you know, making any money. And I was like, I think I'm okay with that because, you know, this was more about like the community and like doing it and experimenting and, you know, seeing if I could write in a different voice and create a different, you know, a story in a different medium. Um, do you think that anthologies still have a place like are they still useful for authors like is it a thing we should just completely um, forget now like what how can anthologies be useful uh, to authors I, i'm gonna come back to mark first on this one yeah i know i, I sounded like i was poo-pooing and saying that they don't sell but anthologies are a great great marketing vehicle for authors it's a great marketing vehicle because uh, there's authors in the Rebel um, Diaries that I'm going to go and seek out their books because I enjoyed the fiction so much. Um, and and also, or I'm just going to hang out with these people because they're really cool. I like them because I like, and, and then it may even lead to, I may be editing uh, something later on and go, wow, man, I, I really, I like your style. Um, could you write something for me for this? So the anthology itself uh, the, the money that's earned off of an anthology itself may not equal the overall hard to measure marketing ability of it. The other thing too is um, 
uh, the signatures and stuff like there's so many things you can do with an anthology that you can't do with a novel. You can't do with a single author because of the collaborative spirit. So we can really, really leverage each other um, in that way. Um, so I, I definitely think, um, especially now with some of the tools we have, the ability to collaborate in this way is far beyond um, the ability, you know, 10 years ago or even five years ago um, uh, to collaborate with people. How many people from how many countries are in this anthology? Oh, so we've got 13 authors in total. We have got um, UK, Scotland. We've got Canada, uh, America, Germany. Uh, testing me now. <laughs> okay, that's enough. I, think I, can, I, I think definitely five off, straight off the top of my head. Five countries. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Not that, like from around the globe, uh, practically, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, and I think... Yeah, I think, you know, <clears throat> we are sharing audiences, right? So even though we're not expecting huge, huge numbers of, you know, New York Times bestseller, whatever, um, responses, there is still going to be sales. There are still going to be readers who will find your story and fall in love with your words and go and buy your book. I know already just from advanced readers who said, oh my God, I loved XYZ author's story. I've just gone and brought their book. The person who edited this anthology said the same thing, right? The editor of the anthology. So obviously I edited the anthology, but then the proofer, sorry, my, you know, to use the right word, the proofer said, oh my God, I love this story. I've gone and brought their book. Um, you know, we build fan bases one reader at a time. And so no anthology, no story that you write is ever wasted. Yeah, you might not get 10,000 new readers, but you might get 20, you might get 50, you might get a thousand. I don't know, you know, and each one of those, if you have a back catalog, well, that could be worth 10 book purchases or, you know, 20 book purchases or whatever. And, and some of them will, will turn into fans for life. Um, Helen, I don't know if yeah. you wanted to uh, add anything uh, about uh, kind of like anthologies, where their place is, like, like why you submit to them and why you participate, why you think they're useful kind of to your marketing and, and, and uh, author business. Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I enjoy subbing to anthologies. I think, um, you know, there's, there's a great tradition in art of collaborative um, communities working together, you know, going back throughout history, really. And I think this is still part of it. You're building these little creative communities. Um, you're lifting voices and you're doing it together. There's always power in multiple voices. And that's what we have here. I also like I totally concur with what you were saying, Mark, about um, how anthologies, for some reason, don't sell as well as novels. And and yet in this in this day and age when we're consuming information in such small chunks, you know, and lots of it, I cannot understand why an anthology, which is offering you 13, like the Rebel Diaries, 13 fabulous little story chunks that you can consume in like 10 minutes or 15 minutes. You can read one on the on the train, you can read one on your lunch break, and you've got this complete story that you can dive into. I just it it boggles my mind actually that we we live in in a in an age where information is thrown at us in tiny chunks that anthologies wouldn't be like what everyone's reading you know um but yeah so yeah I think I agree with you know again about um getting out there to readers and I'm the same I'm reading stories and I'm going wow I'm gonna look up these these guys books because they're great you know and um I just yeah, I think as a writer as well, it's great to challenge ourselves with our craft. If you're just writing long novels, jumping into a short story is is a totally different thing, but it teaches you things that you can then take to your your different types of things that you're writing. You know, uh, with, when you write short stories, there are no extra words. Every word has to count. And I think if you can then take that back into your novel writing, that's going to make you a better better novelist as well. Okay. So I think there are so many positives. So do you, um, in the spirit of Mark, do you have a final reflection on your experiences of uh, working with anthologies? I think for me, um, the, the biggest reflection is to make it as collaborative as possible. And the way to do that is 
by opening communication channels. I think that's my takeaway. Um, Mark, do you want to go? Well, that's what I was going to say. But so I'm going to throw in a different bit of advice. So something that I considered, uh, and and I'm probably going to consider in the future because I have a series, a Canadian marble series, and I have been writing short pieces to put in digital bundles as bonuses or for readers uh, exclusively on my newsletter. I'm thinking it may make sense for a writer if they have a character or a side character from a novel or series or whatever that if they include a story about that character, that's a standalone, solid, good short story, that could also be something that compels them to go, oh my God, I can read more about this character. <gasps> oh my God, yay. So it can also be a marketing deal on that. I just wanted to mention that because we didn't talk about that possibility as well. It's not just you and your writing that they like, but they maybe like the character of the universe and they want more of it. Yeah, I think that's a brilliant uh, point. I can't believe we missed that out. That yeah, that makes so much sense, um, especially because like in this day and age of reader magnets as well, right? Because you know, um, and actually, let's let's say that because on the publishing side and the legal side, um, although your stories are. Uh, have copyright in this anthology nine times out of 10 the copyright will expire after quite a short period of time you know three months six months nine months a year Uh, sometimes it's two years but quite often you can repurpose your stories out of the anthology um, and you could use them as a reader magnet or you can use them as a giveaway or you can you know bundle them if you have three or five or ten stories and create your own anthology which you or collection that you um give away to readers or or you um you know chuck it up on 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 kdp or or on wide and and use it to try and gather uh readers that way and if each one you know that's a great great point if you ha- if you are an author with say five different series and you have five different short stories of the characters that's almost like a box set of ones you know first in series right so that's a great marketing uh technique okay could you recommend an anthology, one that you're in and one that's by somebody else that you've read or appreciated? Uh, Helen, you go first. <clears throat> oh, okay, on the spot. Um, can I recommend one that I'm in? Well, The Rebel Diaries, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I recommend that one, 100%. <laughs> oh, stop. <laughs> um, I will say that um, Bridges Gate, Press does some excellent anthologies as well. And yes, full disclosure, I am in their most recent one. So excellent. Yeah. Thank you. If you if you can give me a link, I will pop a link in the show notes. Mark, how about you? I, I, I'm just going to offer up the latest anthology that I edited, um, uh, Obsessions. Um, and so I don't have any stories in it, but I selected these stories from amazing writers. And, um, and it's not horror. It looks like it's horror, but it's just about people who are obsessed with things. And, mm. and I tried to cover as many different genres as possible. Um, I, and we talked about this already, and I know it's not an anthology, but it is a collection, but I honestly think Twisted by Jeffrey Deaver. If you want to see what you can get away with, with short fiction, uh, this is one of the best short story collections by a single author I've ever read. Uh, Twisted by Jeffrey Deaver is just an amazing, uh, I, I mean, it's great to read and enjoy, but to understand the craft of how you can get away with unreliable narrators, or you can actually throw a twist in there that, you know, you, you, you trick the reader, brilliantly trick them into something. And then they, and then at the end you go, oh man. And he's, he just, he's, he showed me and I, and I still went this way and he tricked me. Um, just, just great for learning the craft. Um, amazing. So uh, I will I, I'll, I'll include the Jeffrey Deaver one. And, and if you have a link, I will gladly drop that in for the Obsessions anthology as well. OK, well, this is the Rebel Author Podcast. Can you tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel? Helen, you go first. <laughs> uh, gosh, OK. Um, I mean, I kind of kind of try and live my life that way which comes with a bit of privilege I know um okay I did not take my husband's name when I got married that is the social convention I did not do it <laughs> I did not want to. hell yes that is some girl power right there and why bloody not as well why couldn't he take your surname absolutely I yeah. did say to him <laughs> <laughs> I love it I love it Mark how about you I told Liz when we get married, I want to take Anderson as my last name because it's so much easier to spell than Lefebvre. Put me at the front of the bookshelf, <laughs> um, all the things, uh, which is why I write under Mark Leslie. 
Uh, honestly, the very first uh, short story collection I published in 2004 was uh, I, I was told by all my friends, this was way before all the cool kids were self-publishing. And, and they said the best way to kill your career before it even starts was self-publish. So I'd taken all these short stories I had previously sold and gotten the rights back, a few stories I had not sold, and published them in 2004 in the short story collection. And that's still something that is powerful and useful for me today. Um, because I, I, I always repurpose my short stories. Uh, and, and in my mind, that's the rebellious spirit is like, no, 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 this story isn't just going to be used once this thing's going to burn itself out, baby, in so many different ways. Um, so that that first rebellious act in 2004 was my very first book published. And that has led to virtually every other success I've had, I can trace back to publishing one hand screaming a collection of horror stories back in 2004. Oh, I love that. I didn't know that that was your first as well. So I absolutely love that story. Okay, well, would you like to both tell everyone uh, where they can find out more about you, your books and uh, your services or anything else that you would like to add? Uh, Mark, you go first. Uh, you can find out anything you want about me and things you don't want to know about me over at marklesley.ca. Links to all my social media and books and all the other things there. Amazing. Helen? Uh, yeah, same. All the all the things about me, uh, you can find them at helenglynnjones.co.uk. Um, and yeah, you'll find me on some socials, not all of them. But uh, yeah, I like to hang around on Twitter quite a bit. Amazing. And of course, I will put all of those links in the show notes. Thank you both so much for your time today. And of course, a big thank you to the show's listeners and the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, then you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black, you were listening to Mark Leslie Lefebvre and Helen Glynn-Jones, and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. You're going to get a bonus episode this week. Well, not really an episode, a really mini sort of um, 13 to 15 minute uh, bonus episode where you will get to hear each of the authors in the anthology read 60 seconds of their story. Um, so hopefully that will give you a little bit of an insight into what is inside the anthology. But uh, returning as normal next week, I will be talking to Nora Phoenix all about how to succeed succeed in a niche. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.